Hey, folks. It's the uh, stars of the front row. He's Keith. KJ over here. I'm Tom. We use the term stars very loosely, but we do want to thank uh, our sponsor from Seminole Boosters, the uh, Dunlap Champions Club, who is, uh, enables us to bring this podcast to you commercial-free. Hopefully a lot of you sampled uh, the Champions Club last week during the spring game. I hope you did. Uh, 33, 3,400 folks were in there, and uh, hopefully some of you were there and decided, hey, this is a place I could watch a football game from. Speaking of that, uh, Champions Club seating is available for football season. You can enjoy the club year-round with special events like the upcoming uh, draft party, which is uh, April 27th. I think Mean Gene is uh, involved in those festivities that night. Uh, then you have Doke After Dark, which is two days later. Blake Shelton, Jake Owen. Uh, side note, not that this is a reason to go to the Dunlap Champions Club, but uh, m- uh, my wife and I will be there. Okay, good to know. Yeah. You won't be singing, though. No, we won't be singing. And th- then nobody would come. Visit FSUClubSeats.com to learn more about your seating options and schedule a private tour. With that said, here's this week's Front Row. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is the Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Hello, everybody. We welcome you to the front row. The band is back together. Tom and KJ. Keith, how are you? I missed you. I missed you so badly. You did an admirable job of holding down the fort last week, so Admirable. Thank you. Admirable. Although I do appreciate the text and the emails from everyone that thought that Florida State was going to entertain West Virginia in a three-game weekend series in Hauser Stadium. That's what funny. an idiot. I told you you could have fixed. That was one that you could have fixed in post, and you opted not to. Well, Yes. The show was recorded. You you could have picked up the phone and fixed that one in post. Yes. You'd be surprised, folks. We actually taped this show three weeks ago. It takes that long to cut this up and make it actually airable in terms of, you know, 50 minutes of content. That's the way we roll. Well, not only that, we taped 10 hours worth of content. And they, they edit trim it, it down. down to the best. Yeah, we, we shoot for 10%. That's what we work on every week. we got a good show. Uh, Keith and I have not uh, conversed really in the last couple of weeks, so we'll catch up on that. And it's not like there's a shortage of things to talk about. We will uh, get into FSU baseball with a uh, college baseball national writer and Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball who will join us a little bit later in the show. Our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt will be here. Uh, the sky is falling and that ESPN may just unplug everything tomorrow. They, apparently. May, they may just burn Bristol down. That's what it appears to be. Uh, so we could discuss that. There's the NFL draft fallout, which the biggest news there, and this has been chewed on, chewed up, spit out over the last few days, so we're kind of late to the party here, is that Dalvin dropped to the second round. That said, seems to be a pretty good situation for him. The best thing about that is he did have to go north, but they have a new dome. <laughs> I'm an indoor kind of guy. Well, and if you subscribe to the theory, yeah, certainly if you're going to go to Minnesota, although they will have to play Green Bay, and they do not have a dome there. If you subscribe to the theory that uh, Dalvin needed to separate himself from some of his past acquaintances when he was growing up in South Florida, certainly Minnesota is probably a good place for him if you subscribe to that theory. And, and along that lines, I don't know if our listeners saw this, don't know if you've uh, seen it, but how about the lead line on a couple of the websites now about Jameis Winston Friend charged with sex offense? Oh, I didn't see that one. Where did that, that one that's the, that's the That's the tagline. They don't talk about who it was. It's some some guy Jameis knows. I, I believe he plays at South Florida. But the banner is Jameis Winston Friend charged. On what? Uh, who, who that was, was on the Yahoo.com, I believe. Ah, I missed that one. And I have a Yahoo account. Why? why? What? Well, you know the answer to that. Clicks. Clicks. Uh, ah. 
I know. And what happened at ESPN last week, Keith, which is why there's the ACC network is never coming fear that we need. We do need to address. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. A lot of good journalists were weeded out and which is why there's some frustration. And a lot of folks that that like to scream and yell and aren't as popular are still there. And for me and who knows, but it's hard to pinpoint what the method to the madness was. The reason why is not hard to pinpoint. They needed to shave some dollars. I know, but, what but they how they pick certain people over other people—that's harder to determine. I know what they need to do, though. They—they they have—is it ESPN Classic? Is that mean, one of their channels? It was. I don't know if it still is. Well, now we we need an ESPN Classic for ESPN stuff. Do, do you watch Sports Center at six o'clock? No, I can't stand it. Sorry to Michael and. No, well, this Jamel is this is, is this is why they're evolving. But I didn't. I don't watch Sports Center at any hour. I want to watch the old. I want to watch Sports Center the old way. But you are a I want Sports Center classic. With due offense, you're a dying breed, though. I understand because the the, the, the reality is. I mean, I I get on Twitter uh, at the end of the night when the kids are down. So from nine to ten, I might be on Twitter hunting around, and anything that happens in the sports world somebody's got a link to it right away so you just click on it and there's the triple play that just got turned or there's lebron picking up a beer and acting like he's drinking it which he did the other night so you don't have to wait and watch that on sports center that's that's why that model is has gone by the wayside i want espn sports center classic all right well when they're negotiating distribution rights to try and get the acc network out there we'll see if we can add that let's talk about this a minute because there's two schools of thought uh and one is that the acc network is never going to happen. And there's some folks that have been in that camp all along that it's just never going to come to fruition. And if you look at Florida, uh, not Florida State, but ESPN has lost all these subscribers from the cord cutter. So their revenue is obviously significantly down. It appears that they overbid or overpaid for a lot of the rights that they have. It's not that ESPN's losing money right now. They're not. They're still highly profitable. But at some point in the next couple of years, the graph crosses. The, yeah, the graph crosses. The expenses and the revenues intersect. And so that's so now there becomes thought why would they even create, you know, what, what's the what's the value to them? If they've got to shave dollars, an ACC network doesn't make sense. Now, then, then you have the other side, which is if you talk to FSU folks, they are some of them are at, at uh, ACC meetings this week specifically addressing this. Not only is it it's still coming, but they're preparing for it. They're getting ready to spend a, a bunch of money to upgrade the Seminole Production Studios. I just read an article yesterday that talks about how Louisville is spending $8 million for what they need, and that's because – this is an assumption on my part, but they're obviously way behind where Florida State is because Florida State's been pretty out in front on that. So FSU's spending a couple million. Louisville's going to spend $8 million to build a studio and all this stuff. Um, the ESPNU stuff. All right, so ESPNU didn't get shuttered as a channel yet, but they basically laid off all the staff in Charlotte or moved them to Bristol. So what does that mean if you look at it long term? Well, the SEC network is in the same studio. So now you have another half of that building that's available to be the ACC network. And if you project forward when the ACC network comes online, assuming it does, you don't need ESPNU because you don't need another channel to put games on because you have the ACC network now. So while ESPN is maintained for a long time that they're not going to just turn ESPNU into the ACC network, in a roundabout way, that could be what happens in that the next round of, of distribution negotiations, if ESPN's discussing with the cable systems and everybody else, the operators, about we have whatever the number of channels is, five channels, I don't know, ESPN, ESPN2, SEC Network, ACC Network, 
in, you're not also lumping ESPNU in there. It's going away, and now the ACC network would, would replace it. Here, here's how, for me, the uh, discussion now needs to be framed. You've got two methods of delivering content. You've got cord and non-cord. The corded method, the way we've been doing it, ESPN has been losing subscribers. At some point, however, I think that that will bottom out. There, there will be there's a there's a, a number of people like me that likes turning on the big screen and having it plugged in, and that's how we do we receive our content. So you're going to have diminishing revenue through the corded distribution system. What we don't know is the uncorded distribution. Right. A how many people will choose to receive content that way? <clears throat> Pardon me. And secondly, what could you charge for it? Because if I have no cable, I have no satellite. Let's say I have no TV, just like my kids have never had a landline. The only phone they've ever had is a cell phone. Right. So let's say you don't have a TV. You don't own a 50-inch or a 60-inch TV. You've got the big iPad, you've got the iPhone, and you've got your desktop. And you choose to receive content only through a non-corded or cordless way. What would someone pay to have access to ESPN, which may or probably would include the ACC network? Or do you do you package the ACC with the SEC? Do you put them all together? And would you pay $6 a month or $8 a month or $20 a month to have access to that service? And how many tens or hundreds of thousands or millions of people would go that route? And I think that's where we don't know the answer. you got cord and, and cordless we know the cord is diminishing in terms of number of subscribers, and we really don't know what's going to happen on the cordless side about what the appetite of the of the marketplace is. Well, and you're right. You're exactly right. And that's and there's thought that there's going to be an OTT and over the top product offered later this year by ESPN or certainly in the next year that would that would test that. Um, I think to me the question is from the from the FSU folks I talk to. And I'll ask you, do you really care? Maybe you do because you like the TV screen. Does it matter to you if there is actually a channel on your cable system that's called the ACC network? Or does it matter more that FSU and ACC schools are compensated on par with with what SEC schools receive? Well, I think the latter is obviously the selfish answer. You know, if if I'm Stan... Uh, Wilcox, I, I would like to be able to count on the same revenue stream that the University of Alabama or University of Florida counts on. And I think most fans would feel that way too. But I think there is legitimacy to the the reputation or the style of how you receive something. Now, I'm, I'm fixing to contradict myself because another comment has been coming out Uh, That's interesting to me. Everybody continues to talk about how ESPN was stupid to fund the Texas Longhorn Network, right? And they keep equipping, uh, keep saying the Texas Network, they keep comparing it to the SAC, ACC, and and whatever. They're paying $12, $15 million a year to Texas, okay? They're paying $1.4 billion for NBA rights, okay? That $15 million they're paying Texas is big money to Texas, but that has nothing to do with this discussion. Well, and I agree. And where it, where it does relate, though, is – so the thought is but, – but, but the point is Texas wanted a channel. Right. 
and that became important. I don't I, I see that maybe that's important, but I think Stan Wilcox's of the world are they'd just be happy to have the money. I agree. And I think most fans would be that way. I mean the diehard fans find ACC Network Extra right now on their phone. On the, They find the games right now exactly. that we're offering. Uh, I've got tonight's FSU Florida softball game, number one versus number two. It'll be on ACC Network Extra, and those who want to find it are going to find it. 17 out of 18? 17 out of 18 what games? Florida has beaten Florida State 17 out of the last 18 Florida has been very good in softball. This is the best. Come on, Lonnie. This is the Come best on, girls. Start Come on, ladies. In FSU softball history this year, though. Good through this many games what what i was going to say is espn is already on the hook for whatever the the dollars are with the acc product so they're already going to have to pay that regardless of whether a channel starts or not so if you if you're really worried then what you're concerned about is that in a few years espn is going to have to renege on some of its contractual deals well here's, here's the other part about the acc network that is different my understanding is it's a partnership so espn has not committed tens or hundreds of millions of dollars to it they start it they roll it out they're splitting revenue if it works great everybody shares if it doesn't work then it just fails there's no there's no guarantee there's no big guarantees associated with that based on my understanding do you understand anything different well they are they're going to compensate the schools for how they're having to retrofit all their yeah but that i know it's small dollars it's small dollars i I agree i I agree the the question becomes about distribution it could end up being the the i mean who would have thought you would watch you'd stick a, a, a a a a device in the in your tv in the usb port and be able to watch mash on demand right and and people be willing well, to pay I'm eight or nine you, or ten dollars a month wait, for that we're waiting for what the next product is it's going to be attached to your glasses and you just like push a button here and now you're watching the acc network whatever you're doing right yeah it reminds me of an old joke i can't tell on the radio I, we, we really the facts, but that's a whole other this is a good june we're in silly season this is a good june or july topic when all the sports periods are over we need to do Matt, a full hour show make a note of that make a note of that make a note of that full hour show i do think that that if you believe that ESPN has overextended itself with rights, well, first of all, it's easy to Monday morning quarterback and say they paid too much. But if the result is that Fox Sports 1 and NBC Sports Network don't sustain themselves and have to fold in another couple of years, well, then ESPN didn't overextend itself. Nope. Now, if that doesn't happen and ESPN is hemorrhaging, then the, the NFL rights are up in – 2021 and espn pays 1.9 billion a year for the nfl which is grossly more than what everybody else pays but that's because they build so much programming around it i think when you look at the big dollar deals that espn has which is 1.9 billion nfl 1.4 per year nba 700 million for major league baseball plus everything they do for college football and bowl games and college football playoff if they were hemorrhaging, they could make a decision, and this will sound ludicrous to say because the NFL has been king, but the reason Major League Baseball and NBA are attractive is because that gives you 12 months a year of programming, the way the schedules. So then you get into a situation where you have two football products. You've got NFL and college, and in 2021, unless they re-up, you know, there's a decision to be made. Do we want to value the NFL or the college game more? And that's where... Yeah, again, it sounds crazy. The NFL's been king, but if you wanted to shave $2 billion off your books per year and go further in on college football, which has a passionate fan base, albeit I'm speaking from the South, that could be a decision to be made. That sounds crazy, I know. Who would walk away from the NFL right now? 
but those may be the the decisions or the the considerations that have to be undertaken. In other words, you could say we're going to be done with Major League Baseball and that saves seven hundred million a year. But what are you putting on TV for May, June, July, and August? I mean, they you're, you know you're back to Australian rules football or whatever they had in the eighties and or, dog shows or reruns of SEC, ACC, Pac twelve football, exactly. football games. We don't have the answers. We just are throwing ideas out there, seeing what sticks. We will uh, come back with another guy who does the same. He's our Seminoles dot com insider, Tim Linnefeld. He joins us right after this. The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith. We made a good change there, didn't we? Is that not an improvement, Keith, everywhere we were? I like it. We welcome you back to the front row. This this may become our permanent walk-up music. I don't know if it'll be our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeldt's uh, walk-up music, but we'll see. Tim, how are you? I'm doing great, Tom. How are you? Good. I've got an important question for you. Where are you going to be on May 20th? I don't. Is this a trick question? No, but you can just say, I don't know. Where should I be? Where should I be? You should be at the Slice of Tallahassee Pizza Festival at Centrale on May 20th. That actually sounds pretty great. Here's the here's the kicker, and uh, Keith, I'm going to bring Keith to this thing. They're going to have a pizza sauce dunk tank. Now, when they had the wine fest, we weren't quite sure. We didn't see. It, we didn't think it would be very economical to fill up a vat with wine and have somebody fall in it. So it's actually a little device over your head, and it tilts and poured wine on your head. So I'm guessing the pizza sauce is the same thing. I don't know. Anyway, the point is, Centrale, uh, which is making lunch great again, has a, a slice of Tallahassee pizza festival coming up on May twentieth. I think the whole front row gang should go there because we like pizza, we like beer, so you know we can check. Not necessarily in that order. We though. can check two boxes right there. Tim, the NFL draft is in the rearview mirror, and Dalvin Cook went in the middle of the second round, which is what we all predicted when we were leading up to this. So, congratulations to all of us for getting that. <laughs> now, now that you've digested that, your thoughts on why he went where he did, and, and just general reaction to him being with the Vikings. Well, well, first, uh, general reaction to him being with the Vikings, I think is I think that's a really good landing spot for him. Uh, that it's a team that has a need, a team that likes to run the ball, uh, a team that you know is far away from the state of Florida, maybe give him a, a change of scene from what he's used to. I mean, it's the first to have lived outside the state of Florida, I think. Uh, so that could be kind of a, a, a new angle for him to sort of tackle the new chapter of his life. I think that's probably a good thing. Uh, and I think it's a really good fit. I think he's probably pretty fortunate to end up there as a team that obviously is really excited to have him. Uh, as you mentioned, he's not a first-round pick, but uh, a, a small quirk of it is that the Vikings at least used their first pick of the draft to draft him. So if you want to look at it through those lenses, uh, you know they, they certainly considered him a first-round talent and used the first pick that they had to take him uh, and traded up to do so. So I think if you're Dalvin, I think you really couldn't have asked for a whole lot better of a situation. Obviously, he would have preferred to go in the first round. Uh, most people who followed his career would have thought that as well. Uh, but all things considered, I think it's a pretty good spot for him. Um, as for why he fell, I mean, you know, I don't know. Uh, everybody talks sort of about all those the rumors and whispers and the uh, the Sports Illustrated story that came out earlier in the week about the the runner or what have you that was trying to sabotage him. And, and maybe there's an element of that. But the, you know, look, the fact of the matter is that first round running backs are kind of rare. I know we had two this year, uh, and you know, that kind of is what it is. But you know, look at some of the running backs across the NFL, some of the, the great running backs. You know, Le'Veon Bell was a second-round pick. 
Uh, Devontae Freeman uh, was, was later than that. He was a fourth-round pick. Teams just aren't spending first-round picks on running backs the way that they used to. Uh, I think somebody mentioned uh, on Twitter, if, if you'd seen Joe Mixon go ahead of Dalvin Cook in the draft, uh, then it would have been sort of like a wow, you know, something's really going on here. But uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm inclined. I'm, a, I'm an optimistic person, and I'm inclined to think that it just had more to do with the, the position itself. Uh, and its value in the NFL than, than anything having to do with uh, off the field stuff. So yeah, and I agree. I agree with you, Tim. Because again, remind you, he was the first pick from Minnesota. They didn't have a first round pick, so he he is right. their first pick. And secondly, he was the third running back chosen. I right. mean, that's like you know, if you want to reverse that argument, then that's like Freddie Johnson uh, Stevenson rather being upset because because he wasn't selected. Well, there was only one fullback chosen in the entire draft. That that position has gone away. Right. How many of these? Yeah. Go ahead, Tim. I, was, I think it's a question. If, if Dalvin had been, if you knew going in that Dalvin had, would be the third running back off the board, and that he would be drafted, you know, 24th or 27th or what have you, do you think it would have raised as many eyebrows? For Florida State fans, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of folks down here, and, and myself included, I think that Dalvin's a better running back than, than Leonard Fournette or Christian McCaffrey, but I don't think anybody would have been shocked going in at the idea that he would be the third off the board behind those two. Uh, the question is just where that third selection took place. And look, watching on Thursday night, uh, when you looked at the, the the last third of the draft or so, uh, and and who was getting ready to pick, there weren't all that many teams that were in in the market, obviously for running backs. And then once Green Bay traded out of the first round, I said oh, this might not happen tonight. Uh, and sure enough, it didn't. Of the other draft picks or free agent signings, which one intrigued you the most? I mean, FSU draft picks or free agent signings. You don't have to cover the whole draft, just the FSU part of it. <laughs> well, uh, probably, that's a good question. I, I'm really curious to see, honestly, what Demarcus Walker does uh, in Denver. They obviously like him a whole lot. Uh, you know, I, I think that you know, reading some of the quotes that John Elway had to say about him, uh, was, I thought was, was a pretty cool thing. Um and, you know, I thought DeMarcus went maybe a, a touch higher than I expected him to. It was, it was right in it was 50, 51 overall, I think, is where he went. And that was right at the beginning of the range that I thought he would be picked. Um, but another guy who's been in Florida his whole life now going completely across the country to a, a new scene, new setting. I think that's a really good defense uh, that, that really likes to get after the quarterback. And so it's, a, it's potentially a really good situation for him. But also, I mean, you know, Roger Johnson, uh, what, what Cleveland's plans are for him, obviously they have a left tackle there in, in Joe Thomas. Uh, but, but, you know, are they going to bring him along? What are they going to do? I, I don't know that we expect him to be a starter uh, this year, maybe even next year. But I think everybody who, who watched Roger Johnson knows that he has all, all kinds of potential uh, to grow into. And if, uh, if Cleveland can sort of extract that out of him, he could potentially be a, a pretty good uh, NFL offensive lineman for a long time. The only thing I hate about Big Rod is, is Cleveland is sometimes Cincinnati as well. I mean, the, the Ohio, their their professional football teams are just a mess sometimes. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. And, and you know what's funny is watching this, and I don't know if you guys watched uh, as much of the draft coverage as I did. I watched uh, just about every single waking moment of it. Uh, the draft weekend is a great reminder of why the, the good teams in the NFL are always the good teams and the bad teams in the NFL are always the bad teams. You just tell that you know, so, some teams are playing checkers and, and some teams are playing chess, so to speak. And, and it seems like it's the same teams every year. And you know, I, I'll say this for the, for the Browns: it definitely it seemed to me like they, uh, you know, at least had a plan and a strategy, and then loaded up on some picks. And we might necessarily agree on all the guys that they picked, uh, but at least seems like they have some direction in that front office, which could be a good thing for certainly for Rod, uh, but also you know for Cam Irving, who, who's still there and trying to you know, really get a foothold in the NFL. So uh, that could be a good thing for those guys. 
So the biggest disappointment from a Florida State standpoint is probably that Travis Rudolph didn't get drafted. And so selfishly, if we go back and have the discussion, should he have returned for his senior year, FSU fans are going to say yes, because the receiving core is largely inexperienced this year. But even evaluating now, if you're Travis, and we had this discussion at the time, Rashad Green, whose position he basically took over, went in the fourth round. Travis is a free agent. So if he came back and had a great senior year at FSU, would he not still have gone somewhere in the fifth, sixth, seventh round of free agent? I mean, it, I think you can still make the case that from his standpoint, he didn't really hurt himself, but I don't know. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, I would think that getting picked in the fourth or fifth round is better than being undrafted, you know. Uh, but do you think his, you think he could have gotten to the fourth or fifth round, or if you just compare him to Rashad Green and say even with a great year, he really was a sixth or seventh round pick at best? I would think probably not. Uh, I think, I mean, uh, yeah, if he'd come back and had a fantastic year, I mean, uh, you know, a, a All-American caliber year, which I think he had that potential in him, um, then maybe he could have gotten up that high. But I, I still think his his actual NFL potential would have been the same either way. Like you said, he's not getting bigger. He's not getting faster. Yeah, his, his measurables are what's holding him back, not his productivity. Right, right. I, I do think, and if you want to look at it from the lens of Florida State, uh, I think that the, the team could have used him this year. And we're all excited about the what, what they have on the receiver depth chart and, and some of the young guys there. Uh, but you know, having a senior Travis Rudolph there to sort of be the, the steadying hand in the receiving core, I think would have been a good thing. Um, but, you know, look, anytime a guy, whenever you leave school early and don't get drafted, you know, you have to wonder what might have been. But I don't think it's a, a disaster for Travis Rudolph. I don't think he was a, a day one or day two pick. Uh, waiting to happen well and he wasn't by himself either what i read there were 28 underclassmen that declared for the draft that were not drafted right and that number i think is comparable to what it's been in in recent years so we don't have time to get into this now at, at some point it would be nice if those guys could test the waters and come back matthew but, matthew make another note that's another note that's another note we've got you know someday keith you and i are just gonna have to move into the studio for like two years to to go back and do all the shows we've suggested we should do i do think it's fair to point out that of those 28 it, who knows how many of them were going to come out anyway regardless of their status whether it's family situation at home whether it's where they were in school and, and that's a very good point. i don't think we can just assume that all 28 made a bad call and now are going to be worse off i mean some of them had to do what they had to do um here's i, I want to move it forward to next year's draft tim i already saw the mock draft for next year and so two things number one this mock draft had four seminals in the first round and they were all on defense, which got me excited about the defense. And I got the four wrong as I did it in my head because I thought the four would be Derwin and Naughty and McFadden and Josh Sweat. But it, the list didn't include Sweat. It included Matthew Thomas. And so I thought, well, this defense is going to be pretty good. Now, the second point is that last year at this time, mock drafts had Brad Kaya as the number two pick in the draft behind Deshaun Watson. So <laughs> do with the mock draft what you will. That's yeah, why we, that's why, why we call it a mock turtleneck. <laughs> it's still a turtleneck. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think your, your overall point there, that this should be made more than any of the you know, NFL predictors, uh, is that the defense, uh, it is going to be good. And those guys are all pro-level talents. And, and this is all, once again, and we need to remind people of this, is that it's all predicated on people staying healthy. Uh, and, and a lot of guys have had some issues with that. But, but if everybody is healthy and, and humming the way they should, uh, then, yeah, there's there's a lot of NFL talent on, on that defense. And, you know, if you're a recruiting fan, you followed the way that, that FSU has recruited over the last, really since Jimbo Fisher took over, especially in the secondary. 
Uh, this isn't a surprise that, that Derwin James or Tavares McFadden or Josh Sweat even uh, could be first-round picks. Uh, that, that doesn't really come as a surprise to people who have been following the way this roster has been put together over the last few years. All right, let's change subjects. What regional will Florida State be invited to on the baseball diamond? Oh, gosh, man. Uh, I, I mean, we've ruled out hosting, right? Well, I don't know that you can rule it out just yet, but I don't know that they can lose a whole lot of games between now and the end of the ACC tournament. I would think that winning the ACC tournament would also almost be a requirement at and you probably need to do something that you, you know that we may not would not expect, like go up to Louisville and sweep them uh, and sweep a four. So maybe if they can do that, and, and it's not crazy to think that that could happen. Then maybe hosting is back on the table. But if maybe if you just sort of go the way you've been going, uh, maybe win one of those series, lose one of those series, uh, then me and you're probably going on the road. Uh, I would expect an SEC school, whether it be Auburn, Texas A&M, LSU. Uh, I don't think that they would get sent to Gainesville for a regional, but you, you never know. I saw one projection have them going to, to West Virginia uh, in Morgantown. That would be interesting. But my my money would be on a, on an SEC regional. Uh, I think Auburn right now. If you if you made me uh, made me say something, and, and Kendall Rogers, if you said he's going to be on, uh, he probably would be better at that than I could. But I think Auburn or maybe even Kentucky would be a, a pretty good uh, pretty good guess. Here's something I'm going to bring up uh, with with Kendall, uh, Tim. Florida State right now is 27 and 18. And at this time, two years ago, the year that Virginia won the national championship, they closed out the month of April, an injury riddled team at 27 and 18, and wound up a third seed in the regionals, went on to win the World Series. Now, I'm not saying Florida State's going to do it, but the larger point there is you just don't know with baseball. And so there is still time to get hot and see what happens. No, I'm not absolutely right. And, and look, you know, College baseball is a weird sport, um, and if you only watch you know, your team and don't pay attention on the national scale, you, you could miss that some some quirky things happen. I mean, Coastal Carolina won the national championship last year. Fresno State uh, won the national championship in the last decade. It really is a matter of, like you said, sort of peaking at the right time. I do think you probably need to get some lucky breaks. Uh, Florida State has been famously unlucky, but if you look around the country, I mean, nobody wants to admit it, but that Florida program's probably been – the the premier program in the country over the last few years, certainly with their pitching talent, uh, and they have had a horrible time out in Omaha in recent years, and they haven't won a national championship yet either under the under that current regime or at all in the program's history. Uh, it's it's just hard, and I think college baseball maybe more than any other collegiate sport, it, the, the best team throughout the season, the regular season, really doesn't always win, maybe even rarely win. Uh, and so I'm not saying that it's it's fun while you're going through it, but and I feel like we sort of sang this song you know, over the last few weeks but you know, if, with the talent level that's on Florida State's team, if everything were to come together over the next few weeks uh, there's no reason why they couldn't make a deep run. Now, uh, if I remember correctly that Virginia team had some, some things break their way. They won a regional out in California and then their, uh, their, their, their super regional pair lost in their regional so Virginia ended up getting to host a super regional that year which certainly helped uh, but again, when you're talking about a team that's you know, 27 and 18 or what have you and trying to make a run uh, a lucky break along the way uh, can make a really big difference. That Virginia team, by the way, it won a big series late. It swept North Carolina. Then it lost all three games in the ACC tournament and still did that. So, I mean, they didn't get hot until they got into the NCA. All right, Tim, we got to roll. Thank you as always. Happy anniversary, by the way, uh, to you right, and your hey. bride. Tim had a, an excused absence last week. As I did not, but Tim had an excused absence for missing the show last week. Somebody actually married me. Uh, you know, miracles do happen. Speaking of upsets, there we go. (laughs) Tim, thank you.
Oh, guys, we'll see. Our insider. Well, he put it's it just on. just cold. It was. I didn't mean that as cold as that came. He put it on a tee. That was, yeah. somebody married me too. Does that, does that. I wasn't going to go there. Yeah, exactly. And you. Twice. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll get back to college baseball right after this. <laughs> The Front Row is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back, and we will continue our conversation about college baseball as we bring Kendall Rogers to the program, national writer and editor for uh, D1Baseball.com. He's been on our show before, probably last year about this time. Kendall, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. i tell you what, it's going to be a fun last few weeks here of the regular season uh, as we get ready for Selection Monday. I can't, I can't believe it's almost here, but uh, we're about four or five weeks or four weeks from Selection Monday. It's hard to believe, but uh, it should be a lot of fun. It it should be, although to be frank, Florida State uh, has not had uh, you know that now part of this we need to be fair, and Keith and I have both known Mike Martin follow Florida State baseball a long time. They have been so consistent over the years. I mean, overall, in Mike yeah. Martin's tenure, that you just automatically pencil in uh, they're going to be a one seed, and ninety percent of the time they're going to host. Well, this isn't one of those years. So, it, since you you started by mentioning uh, Selection Monday, where does Florida State project right now in your mind? Well, I still think the Seminoles are a strong two-seed. I mean, you look at the RPI. Uh, I think the conference record will get there in the final few weeks of the regular season. Uh, I still think the resume is solid. Um, and for, and to be honest with you, I don't I don't think Florida State's totally out of the hosting equation. I mean, you know, let's, let's say the Seminoles go through business on the week and the rest of the regular season, play really well in the ACC tournament. Uh, all of a sudden, things get pretty interesting for the Noles because the RPI is going to be there at the end. Uh, they're going to stay around that a 20 to 25 RPI, and if they finish really strong, uh, they could even get in the team. So, I mean, I don't even think hosting is out of the equation. I think when you look at the last couple of host sites, you know, Long Beach State is a, is a team that's kind of declined from an RPI standpoint over the last few weeks. You know, we saw Cal State Fullerton drop into the 30s. So uh, there's wiggle room there for the teams to drop and for Florida State to kind of seize the moment. But uh, they, they've got to they've got to step up and take it. Uh, this is an FSU team that quite frankly, it's been a little frustrating. I mean, I think if you look at this club on paper, uh, you know, you look at the, the struggles of a guy like Kyle Rowley who had some you know, different guys uh, throughout the lineup that have been, kind of been inconsistent. Uh, this team has, a, has, in my opinion, still national championship potential. They just uh, have not put uh, all the pieces together, and they've been far from it. So uh, if they can finish strong, uh, they can get back in the hosting picture. But I think it's the worst-case scenario for the Noles right now. I think they're probably a strong two seed, and you know they'll take that right now. Uh, when you look at a few weeks ago, going into that Miami series, uh, that was a series that you know if Florida State loses it, uh, we're talking about whether or not they even make the postseason. I think Florida State obviously is very comfortable now after taking that Clemson series, but uh, we'll see what happens. I think there's a lot to play for here these last few weeks. I don't, I don't think anything's set in stone just yet. Kendall, obviously a lot in Tallahassee about uh, 11 and his future and how much longer he'll coach. He's, what, 50-51 games, uh, wins rather away from the all-time record. What's the national perspective of of Mike Martin's tenure now it's winding down and winding up? You know, I'll be honest with you. I I, I think the the feeling on Mike Martin is probably a a little more positive than, uh, you know, uh, 
some, you know, loud voices around there. I mean, I, don't, I would not classify FSU fans as a whole as thinking that he needs to kind of wind down. But uh, I think, you know, we all know there's some vocal people around there who think that, oh, you know, we need to we need to win a national title. We need to be better. But I, I think the feeling on the national stage is my part. There's no doubt this team has underachieved so far this year. I think the feeling is that, you know, when you look at what, what Mike's uh, done uh, in terms of a consistency standpoint, uh, it's incredible. I mean, when you think about how many years in a row the Seminoles have made the postseason, that is incredibly difficult, especially in today's era of college baseball. You look at the University of Texas uh, as a program that had to part ways with Augie Grito because they went two years in a row without making the postseason. Uh, you think about a program like Texas not making the postseason two years in a row. Uh, you look at Miami this year. Uh, they're going to need a minor miracle to make the postseason. And, uh, you know, Florida State, you know what, they're not totally out of the woods yet. But it would be a, a surprise if Florida State in a year that I would say they've underachieved so far, they're probably going to easily make the postseason. So uh, there, there's no doubt. I think Mike, more than anybody in the world out there, would like to have a national championship. But I think the, the impression of Mike Martin on the national stage uh, is still extremely positive. He's been a, an outstanding advocate for the game. Uh, he's been a consistent winner. Uh, and, and honestly, he's one of those guys that I really, really hope that he wins a national title uh, before he uh, calls it quits. Uh, we'll see when that is. I, I would, I would think uh, that Mike, given how close he is, and you know, obviously how many how many games they win a year, I would think he'll probably stick around for at least another year or two. Uh, he, I would expect him to get that that overall mark in next year. Well, it'll be interesting because he is fifty one wins away, and his contract runs through twenty seventeen. And if you do the math, it's you know he's potentially looking at needing to win forty or forty one next year to get there. Otherwise, it spills over yeah. into twenty nineteen. So we'll let the the season play out and see where that goes. Two interesting things, uh, Kendall, and I mentioned this in our last segment. Virginia two years ago when they won the title at the end of mm-hmm. April was twenty seven and eighteen and had had a mm-hmm. bunch of injuries, and that's exactly the same position florida state finds itself in right now 27 and 18 and they can't keep their main nine together so so anything is possible but more to the point about consistency and i just did the fsu virginia series for acc network after this weekend and brian o'connor who has been so he's tremendous coach virginia only won 38 games last year coming off the national title and it just to me that really speaks to the fact that mike martin has never won fewer than 40 yeah it's it's astonishing really i mean it's almost hard to even put it into words because, you know, you look at the evolution of college baseball. Uh, you know, was, was was that ultra-impressive maybe in the 80s and early 90s? Probably not. Cause not, a, not a lot of teams out there at that point that were putting a lot of money in and, and a strong commitment to college baseball. But if you look at the last decade, you know, you look at the rise of the coast of Carolina. You look at programs like Liberty putting a lot of money in their programs. You look at, you know, here in the state of Texas, you look at you know, teams like in Houston, Houston, and uh, throughout the South. Uh, there's been a lot of programs that have figured out that, you know, we, we may not have the, the financial capability to compete with Florida State or compete with Auburn in, in football, but you know what we're going to do? Uh, we're going to put our money into baseball and a, and a partial scholarship sport, and we're going to compete with the big boys. So the fact that they've been able to continue to do that, uh, given that, uh, especially being an ACC team, is extremely impressive. And, you know, I think that when you look at this Florida State team, I'm glad you brought up the Virginia comp there because I think it's very similar. Uh, I think when you look at this Florida State lineup and even the potential on the mound, uh, this is a scary team. I would not want the Knowles in my regional. I think they're a team that just simply have not played to the level they need to play at the entire season. And like you mentioned, they've had some injuries in the start of the season without Mendoza and guys like that. But, uh, this is a team that absolutely, you know, regional time could cause a lot of headaches for people. I, I think this is a, if if, if all the pieces are together, this is an, as elite of a team as, as you can get. 
Yeah, well, and I think that's that's the way we all feel too. And uh, you know, it's long yeah. been the talk around here that uh, if Mike Martin ever wins one, it'll come from one of his teams that uh, you least expect it from. Not that you now. Now that's not true. Before the season, before the season, there's a lot of hope yeah. for this team. But midseason, you look at it and say, what's going on? So who knows how it'll play out? I know it's uh, your busy season. It'll be a fun season. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be out in Omaha with or without the Knowles this year. So maybe uh, we'll cross paths. But thanks for what you do for college baseball, Kendall. Absolutely. It should be a lot of fun. I, I think the Evans are going to be buckled in here for a fun finish. I think the Knowles are far from done. All right, sounds good. He is a national. Thank you, thank you, national college baseball writer from D1Baseball.com, which I can tell you, Lulu and I always uh, have up on the computer there because it's got scores from every game going on in the country. It's the best resource to go to. Appreciate that, Keith. You look like you want to react, but I'm going to put up the stop sign at third base. Not waving you home. You're going to have to wait till next segment. We'll roll on with more of the front row right after this. The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith. Public service announcement for everybody. Remember, the Front Row is available on demand after every week's show. You can uh, head to ESPNTallahassee.com and under the Audio Vault drop-down menu, simply click the Front Row. Or subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, which is what I recommend. KJ, the By stop the way, sign is now, it, it's a green light. Yeah, green means go. Why are you go. stopping me on my home run trot? Green means go. Okay. Stopping me on my home run trot. Well, it took about a week to get to third base. Hush. So. Not this weekend, but next weekend. Mother's Day weekend, Friday and Saturday. Got to head to Cairo. Hobson Chevrolet is hosting the car rally in Cairo. And uh, there'll be some antique cars and some refreshments and uh, some goings-on, a parade, I'm told. Um, so go visit uh, Bob and Austin up in Cairo. Not this weekend, but next weekend. Uh, you'll have a good time. All right. we're done Another with, unselfish plug. We're done with the public service announcement portion of this segment, and we'll uh, get back to whatever point you wanted to make when I cut you off at the end of the last segment. I, I just think it's interesting uh, how – and we've talked about this football. Uh, we're now talking about it in baseball. It's a down year. Why is it a down year? Because the expectations are always so high. And when you when you bring it back, uh, as you did by comparing uh, Virginia's national championship run two years ago, nobody expected Virginia to be in that position where they were at the end of April. Uh, and I just think that's an interesting comparison. We've made the comment that that's what is unique about college baseball it, it it is really you play the regular season to position yourself you play the conference tournament to make sure you you host the regional or get into the regional but then you got to hope your squad gets hot and and the pitchers that are supposed to pitch you know give you that six or seven innings in each start and those uh, guys that are supposed to hit for an average or hit for some power do hit for some power and if that happens any of the teams that enter into the postseason has an opportunity to win. I know there's a similar comparison in basketball, but we also know that, you know, of the 68 teams in the basketball tournament, you know there's about 32 of them, 28 of them, 26 of them that have a real chance to win. The others are just there because they want a conference tournament or they're, right. they're a buy-in at the end. But in baseball, anybody – 
who makes the postseason has a great opportunity, and that's that's why well, I love college baseball. We've seen it with Coastal and with Fresno State. I, I made a I literally made a laundry list here of things just to to tie up loose ends. So first of all, in regard to that Virginia team two years ago. Needs to be noted that the Virginia team three years ago made the College World Series finals and lost to Vandy and returned a lot of those guys who had that experience, which I'm sure helped the next year as they went back and won it. In terms of the expectations at FSU, no doubt they're high because the program has been so good. There's also been more pressure because Florida has finally gotten good in baseball, which I don't know why it took them as long as it did for them to get good in baseball, but they figured it out under Kevin O'Sullivan. And to Tim's point earlier in the show, despite that, they still haven't won one out there. As far as the regional sites this year, it's interesting to hear Kendall say that FSU's not out of the mix. That's probably true if they were to win their last two series and make some noise at the ACC tournament. More likely based on how they're playing or have played this year, I think they probably will be on the road. I don't think they would go to Gainesville because when you look at the state of Florida, there's been some years where there's been three regional host sites in in Miami, Gainesville, and and Tallahassee. This year, Florida is the only clear-cut host site. And so the NCAA would take Miami and Florida Gulf Coast and Bethune-Cookman and send them to Gainesville, and it's much easier to send FSU by bus to Auburn or, or an SEC footprint. So I think that's the more likely scenario there. And then the last thing, when you mentioned the pitchers, we've already talked about the Drew Carlton thing a couple of times. Drew Carlton got the save last Friday night. They didn't need him on Saturday. He was available on Sunday and came in in the sixth inning and pitched shutout baseball the rest of the way. The problem is FSU was already trailing in the sixth inning. The point being... I'm not sure if or when they're going to put him at the front of the line, but you could have started him on Sunday, and instead of falling behind 6 nothing, maybe you're in the sixth inning and you're now leading 3 nothing, Or at yes, least tied. Or at least tied. Yes, you still have to get the final nine outs of the game, and I will note this now because if they do this and then the bullpen blows the lead, that'll be the answer to why they didn't do it sooner. But I just don't think that they're getting enough key innings from Carlton still because he's pitching too often when they're behind and, and I think the one absolute legitimate criticism from a coaching perspective in this season has been how the pitching has been handled now obviously like anything else uh, everybody's got their uh, opinions and and uh, there's a there's instead of being two or three camps there's probably 10 camps <laughs> pardon me as to what's right but I think that is the one area that legitimately uh, Mike and, and, and 11 and meet and, and Mike Bell you know, can look at themselves in the mirror and say, you know, we need to sit down and reevaluate this. What 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 we're doing now, for whatever reason, isn't working well. We got to change again. I'm sure that they're doing that this week. It's exam week, so there's no baseball. Actually, the softball game tonight is an oddity because they never play games during exam week. So it must be that this is the only time Florida and FSU could get on the same page to come here. That's a side note. But baseball has exams this week, too, and so I imagine that the coaching staff is reevaluating that. They also have four games this weekend to test some different combinations and maybe give Carlton a start. I don't know if they'll do that or not against Pacific, and then they get JU. If you start projecting wins, which we didn't do with Tim or Kendall, but FSU's at 27 right now. you got four against Pacific and one against JU. Uh, I'm going to say they go 4-1 and one there. They could go 5-0. and oh. But let's go 4-1. and one. Then you get Wake Forest at home. I'm going to say they win 2-3. So now we're at 33. Six and four. And then let's say they're at Louisville, who's really good, and they go one and two, right? So if you add that up, what are we at? Seven and four. 
to close out. And then in the ACC tournament, which is a new format this year, you're only guaranteed two games. So if you win both, you're going to be into the semifinals. Are we going to give them two wins there? We're going to say they're going to be one and one based on how they've played. One and one. All right. So now you're at eight and five. Then you go to the NCAA regionals. You get two games there. Are they going to go zero and two, one and two, two and two, two and one? I think you can't de- go two and one. I think that depends on where you go. Obviously, dumb statement. I'm going to give them two wins in the regional. You're going to get them to the supers. Nah, two wins doesn't get you to the supers. Two wins get you into the championship round of the I'm regional. I'm sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. You're correct. So at that point, say they finish there in the regionals. That's two and two. That's ten and seven the rest of the way, which gets them to thirty-seven and twenty-five. More than that, it leaves you forty-one wins away from the all-time record, meaning you need 41 next year on a team that's not going to have Taylor Walls. It's not going to have Dylan Busby. Tyler Holton is a draft-eligible sophomore, which hasn't been talked about, so it's probably not going to have Tyler Holton or Drew Carlton. It's going to lose. It's not going to have Quincy Neoporti, who's a senior. Now, it will have Jackson Luke and Drew Mendoza and Cal Raleigh, which will be the backbone of it, and it'll have Cole Sands in the rotation. I'm just saying, if you look at last year, I think they finished with 41 wins maybe. This year, they're not projecting to get there unless they get hot, and that's what you're going to need next year to get to that milestone for 11. Well, and I think in terms of criticism about the program, I think based on what Corey reported uh, in the Democrat this week, uh, I I think Stan is committed to giving Levin the opportunity next year to get to that all-time wins. I think if I heard you correctly, I think you said he was signed through 17. He's actually signed through 18. Yeah, he signed through eighteen. Right, yeah, and, and I may have misunderstood. Yeah. No, no, no. You did. But the point is, he's yeah. he signed through. He signed through next year. Next year. Yeah, so and, I misspoke. And could get the opportunity to get that. Uh, obviously, that brings up who replaces him, or or does he go another year after that conversation for another day? I just think it's it's important to understand that that while we're frustrated, we've got to take the big picture. And, and whether Florida State makes the postseason or not, whether they host or not, whether they travel and even get out of a regional or not, uh, we we need to maintain the big picture. And that's hard to do. And for some folks, uh, it's, it's dang near impossible to do. Uh, but I just encourage all of us to keep that perspective in, in line. Yeah, re- and regardless, it's not going to be five more years. I mean, it might be two more years after this, if you're of the camp that you want to see change. It 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 does – we would have gone deeper in the conversation with Kendall Rogers, but we were having a bad phone connection there, so we cut it short. There will be no shortage of good candidates, including Mike Jr., to be the successor. I do think it hurts them on the recruiting front right now because if you're coming in, you don't know if Mike Martin's your coach for three years or one year or two years, and you don't know who the coach is at the back end of your career. And that's something that they battle when they're on the road recruiting, and it's something that their opposition points out to the prospects. And and I hear that, but I will also counter with something. For those that uh, have a, a negative opinion of Eleven, that he he he's too controlling, he's out of touch with the young kids, uh, he, he you know he's not as visible and around the players as much as maybe he should be. That could also be a positive. In talking with kids coming to Florida State, all right, because you're gonna when you make the commitment to come to Florida State, you're making a three year commitment at a minimum, regardless, because that that's just the way it works. There may be a year or two when he's not here, and if you've got any time of connotations that's negative, but you like Florida State, that's I true. would simply argue that could be a positive. See, Keith Jones is a salesperson, ladies and gentlemen. 
We will uh, come back and uh, wrap things up momentarily. I will remind you that if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener for all your power tool needs. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue, 3269 Crawfordville Highway. You can call them at 580-1200 or visit them online at ctf.nu. We will uh, finish the do-it-yourself project that is this week's front row right after this. The Front Row is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Keith, good to be uh, back by your side for this week's Front Row. Always. What other loose ends do we have to tie up? Uh, Just... uh, hats off for the year and best wishes tonight to uh the uh ladies on the uh softball diamond uh as i mentioned earlier and listeners may not be aware it was in the paper but you know florida's kind of dominated that softball series what 17 in the last 18 but you got the number one and number two teams in the country going at it tonight and uh lonnie and and the ladies have performed so well uh, hopefully get a victory against uh, the gators and uh, just happy for, you know, all of the guys that we talked about that would be eligible for the draft ultimately ended up signing free agent contracts. So even if they weren't picked in the latter rounds, they were picked up. And sometimes that's even better because that's a team right, gives that, you some flexibility. Well, and that gives you a team that kind of wants you yeah, uh, as opposed to just anybody you can latch on with. And I think, I think in particular, it'll be interesting to see how Travis uh, Rudolph uh, performs and does. Um, Jets, I believe, is where he went, right? Or Giants. Giants, Giants. Giants. Uh, Given the fact that uh, he's a guy that his measurables aren't going to get any better, as we talked about. Uh, His productivity is what is his asset. You can't prove your productivity unless you can get on the field and prove yourself. Uh, He's going to get that opportunity, uh, and uh, we're pulling for him. Anything stick out out of this series, the Democrats running with uh, Stan Wilcox and about FSU athletics in general? Well, the biggest thing is is the, the the arms race, and you and I have talked about this over the over the months and the years that we've been together. The arms race never leaves. At some point, however, particularly as it relates to football, I'm wondering if we can find a way to to project we're Florida State. We don't need a putt putt golf course. We yeah, don't said this before. We don't need a bowling. Yeah, does alley. the pendulum ever shift? We to- don't need a napping room. We're Florida State. We have the facilities. We will get you an education. We'll get you the resources. We play in a great stadium and a great league on national TV. We don't need the, gonna, the, gonna, the, 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 the superfluous. We, we play football at Florida State. The we, don't play, say we don't play around at Florida State. The cynics would say you're going to have to get to the next generation and get past the millennials to get there. Possibly but so. But that may trend the other direction even worse. All right, Possibly we, so. We, we don't have time to solve this. Uh, we are out of time. This is all the time they afford us each week. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you again next week on the front row.